Vishnupad Paramhamsa Parivraja Kacharja Ashtotarastata Sri Srimad Asi Bhaktivanta Swami Srila Prabhupada Ki Anantakota Vaishnav Rindaki All glories to the assembled devotees All glories to the assembled devotees All glories to the assembled devotees All glories, all glories to Sri Sri Guru and Gauranga All glories to Srila Prabhupada Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Ajnana Timarandasya Janajana Shalakaya Chakshurul Mitam Jaina Tasmai Shri Guru Venamaha I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with a torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Sri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jaina Bhutale Swayam Rupakadamayam Tadatit Swapadantikam when will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha kalpa tarubhyasya kripasanubhyevacha patitanam pavanevyo vaishnavebhyo namonamaha 
I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Say Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Dvaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhaktivrinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Lord Nityananda Shri Dvaita Gadadhar Pandit Shri Vastakur and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare so today is Tuesday, May 18th, 2021, and we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 7, The Son of Drona Punished, Text 29 and 30. Text 29. Sutta Uvacha Sutva Bhagavata Proktam Valguna Paraviraha Vrishtvapastam parikramya Brahmam brahmashram sandade Sutta uvacha Sutva bhagavata proktam Valguna paravidyaha Vrishtvapastam parikramya Brahmam brahmashram sandade Sutta Sutta Goswami Uvacha said Shutva after hearing Bhagavata by the personality of Godhead Roktam, what was said. Falguna, another name of Arjuna. Paraviraha, the killer of the opposing warrior. Kristva, after touching. Apa, water. Dham, him. Parikramya, circumambulating. Ramam, the Supreme Lord, Brahma Ashram, the Supreme Weapon, Sandade, acted on. Translation by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. Sita Goswami said, hearing this form, hearing this from the personality of Godhead, Arjuna touched water for purification. And after circumambulating Lord Sri Krishna, he cast his Brahmastra weapon to counteract the other one. Text 30. Samhatyana yonyam ubhyayos bejasi sarasamvrita avrityarodashi kyamcha vavridate vika vanivat. Translation. When the rays of the two Brahmashas combined, a great circle of fire like the disk of the sun covered all outer space and the whole firmament of planets. Purport. The heat created by the flash of a Brahmastra resembles the fire exhibited in the sun globe at the time of cosmic annihilation. 
The radiation of atomic energy is very insignificant in comparison to the heat produced by a Brahmastra. The atomic bomb explosion can at, at utmost blow up one globe, but the heat produced by the Brahmastra can destroy the whole cosmic situation. The comparison is therefore made to the heat at the time of annihilation. So today we'll be discussing death, destruction, and how to free ourselves from this cycle of birth and death. So we generally think of the atomic bomb as being the most destructive weapon that we have. And I think currently it is the most destructive weapon that we have. It has the capacity of destroying the entire planet. But here we see that the Brahmastra can destroy the whole cosmic situation. What to speak of two of them. Two that have been let off, right? One to counteract the other one. And it's compared to the amount of heat and destruction that happens at the end of Brahma's day. We know, uh, according to Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita 8.19, Krishna explains, again and again, when Brahma's day arrives, all living entities come into being. And with the arrival of Brahma's night, they are helplessly annihilated. So this... Um, the heat produced by the two Brahmastras is similar to the heat and destruction produced by the, at the end of Brahma's, um, with the arrival of Brahma's night. And we can see that that's just part of the cycle of birth and death. We have our own, you know, our life of birth and death. But we also can see that the whole material creation, even the planet, has a cycle of birth and death. And death is inevitable. Even death of the material world. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita 10.32, Time I am the great destroyer of the worlds, and I've come here to destroy all people. So Krishna is saying that he is the cause of all death. He's also the cause of all living. But we also can understand that when we come to the understanding that we're not this body, um, death, birth, death, old age, and disease is no longer perceived as of evil, according to um, Bhagavad Gita 13.9. And this is what true knowledge is. So we want to know, like, how do we escape the cycle of birth and death? And death is really, like, it's something that's scary. I think it's one thing that scares a lot of people, like fear of death. We talked about fears a couple of weeks ago. And fear of death is one of the ones that people fear the most. And it's, you know, fear of their own death, fear of the death of loved ones. And right now, I mean, in my lifetime, I don't think people have thought about death as much as they do. I mean, people are always kind of, it's in the back of their mind. But now it's at the forefront. Or maybe it's just because I'm getting older and I'm thinking about death more. But I think with the pandemic, you know, everybody's kind of worried about death and they're worried about loved ones. And we've lost so many people and people are dying every single day from this virus. And so death is really front foremost in our mind. And we really want to learn how to get free from the cycle of birth and death, you know, how to ha- to be immortal, right? Because we are, our true nature is eternal, full of knowledge and bliss. So we're always striving to get away from death. Like we, that's why we fear it, because it's not our nature. It's not in our true nature to have an end that like that, to be temporary, but the material body is temporary, and it does die. 
So it says, In 2.27, one who has taken their birth is sure to die, and after death, one is sure to take birth again. So Krishna, when when saying this, he's trying to reassure Arjuna about the death of all the upcoming um, people in the battle of Kurukshetra. And he tells him, if death happens, it's in the unavoidable discharge of your duty, you should not lament. And we can see this because, you know, we know that death is everywhere, but we don't need to seek it. If it happens, it happens. But it's going to come. We don't have to go after it. We don't have to look for it. We don't have to worry about it. It's it's going to come, right? I often equate this to um, so many different things, like temptation and troubles. I don't have to seek out trouble. It's just going to come to me, right? I don't have to seek out temptation. It's going to come to me. I was having a discussion with a friend um, a few days ago about the news, and we were talking about, like, the news can be very, it can have a very negative impact on our mind. And when we're, especially the news now, there's a lot of discussion about death and fear of disease currently. And a lot of times to have more positive impact, you it's best to turn off the news, to listen to something more positive. Um, you can listen, like, I tend to listen to either a lecture by my guru, um, Jamal Krishna Goswami, or sometimes I listen to a lecture or a TED Talk or listen to an audiobook, right? or listen to music, kirtan. You know, there's so many nice bhajans that are available. So there's so many other things that I can listen to or, or feed my mind with instead of the news. So my friend was saying, well, how do you find out about what's going on in the world? And I said, you know, I don't have to seek out the news. It just finds its way to me. Like, somehow or another, I learn about what's happening in the world, whether it's through Facebook. And if something catches my attention, then I can go and read more about it. But I don't have to, like, actively seek out the news. So in the same way, we don't have to actively seek out death, and nor should we put ourselves at unnecessary risk. Because when we think about it, the body that we have, this material body, actually belongs to Krishna. And so we are the temporary um, keepers of this body, and as such, we have to take good care of it. And that means not putting ourselves at unnecessary risk. Now, if death happens in the unavoidable discharge of our duty, then we should not lament if it happens for someone else. You know, if I'm walking in the middle of the street, that's a little bit more risky than if I'm walking on the sidewalk. So it's better that I don't walk on the street, that I walk on the sidewalk. Now, that's not to say that somehow or another um, a car can't jump the curb and run me over on the sidewalk, but that's less likely to happen than walking in the middle of the road. I mean, I, um, I remember there's a story... It's really heartbreaking. It was a kid I used to babysit for, and he was playing in his front yard, not too far from the front of his house, and a car lost control, drove up into the yard and hit the house and killed him instantly. And that was just really heartbreaking to hear that something like that can happen. Again, it just shows you death is inevitable. It's everywhere, and we never know when it's going to happen. But we don't lament because we're not this body. 
And real knowledge is realizing that um, birth, death, old age, and disease, this is a cycle that we want to become free from. So Krishna says in 2.17, that which pervades the entire body, you should know to be indestructible. No one is able to destroy that imperishable soul. The soul, who we truly are, the us, our true ourselves, when we say I, we're referring to the soul, is indestructible. So even if, it goes on to say in 2.18, the material body of the indestructible, immeasurable, and eternal living entity is sure to come to an end. So the body that we're living in can end. That's what dies. But our true selves, the soul, never dies. For the soul, there is neither birth nor death at any time. They have not come into being, do not come into being, and will not come into being. They are unborn, eternal, ever-existing, and primeval. They are not slain when the body is slain. So the soul, who we are, is eternal. We're unborn, we're ever-existing. And that's why it feels very unnatural to us to have this supposed end of life, right, when the material body dies. And that's how we perceive the world because we're so conditioned and we're living in the body, we tend to think this body is us, is me. And so when this body ends or the body of a loved one ends, it's hard to see that soul. It's so unimaginable. But you may know this. Like when you see a body that has no soul, it's very um, apparent, right? It's really, and I've seen this many times when working in the hospital and, um, you know, when there's an emergency call, we call it, you know, the code blue, and you're working on it, and you can tell there's a moment that no matter how much you pump on the body or make it breathe, that this person is not coming back to life. The soul has left. The, the essence of what creates life has gone. And when you see a dead body, you can, there's no doubt. You don't think, oh, this person's just sleeping. We don't we don't think that it's there's something that's very different about that because the soul is gone, <clears throat> the life giving essence of the body is gone, so then the body just becomes an empty shell. Krishna says in two twenty three, the soul can never be cut to pieces by any weapon, nor burned by fire, nor moistened by water, nor withered by the wind. The individual, in 24, he says, the individual soul is unbreakable and insoluble and can neither be burned nor dried. They are everlasting, present everywhere, unchangeable, immovable, and eternally the same. So this tells us some of the qualities of our soul, of who we are. We're eternal. Um, Can't be cut to pieces by any weapon. So even though this hugely destructive weapon has been released and a second one to counter it. The souls cannot be killed by this weapon. The material body, the material world may be, but the spiritual world will continue. And our spiritual body, right, our soul, is indestructible. So it's really important that we understand this concept. Because once we understand this concept... We aren't bewildered by the cycle of birth, death, old age, and disease. It's just 
another thing that happens, like getting a new car, changing your clothes in the morning, right? We don't go, oh my God, my clothes are dead. Like you don't think that, you just, you know, they may get holes in them or destroyed, but then you just discard them and buy new ones or you change your clothes. It's not like, you know, you get really, um, you mourn and you have a funeral for your clothes. We don't do that. It's okay to do that for the body because the soul is gone, right? So we miss that person that was inhabiting the body. And that's why we have these kind of memorials. It's not to say that, oh, you know, don't lament, don't mourn someone who dies. But it's understanding that that person has moved on. The soul that was occupying the body has moved on. And we may miss that person, right? Like we can miss, um, like I miss my spiritual master, I miss my father, um, because they're no longer here. They're elsewhere, but they're not here. And even when someone doesn't die, like they're just moved away, we miss them, right? We miss their physical presence. And it's to that same extent. At least when someone's moved away, you can call them, you can visit them with someone who's gone to another planet or another um, level of existence. It's harder to do that. So one of the ways that we really want to make sure that we always think of, I mean, we always realize that we're not this body, is to understand that we are spirit souls and servants of Krishna. So we want to make sure that we're always thinking of Krishna. And we do that by chanting, chanting japa, by chanting kirtan, by listening to his past, about him, about his pastimes, his paraphernalia, his qualities, his um, arrival and departure on this planet, reading Srimad Bhagavatam, reading Bhagavad Gita. So we can get a better understanding of not just who we are not, we are not this body, but who we actually are, servants of Krishna. And Krishna assures us that if we know, he says in Bhagavad Gita 4.9, one who knows the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities does not, upon leaving the body, take their birth again in this material world, but attains my material, my eternal abode. So we know that once we understand who Krishna is and we dedicate our lives to serving him, then we will come to him. In 1855, Krishna says, One can understand me as I am, as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, only by devotional service. And one, when one is in full consciousness of me, such devotion they can, by such devotion they can enter into the kingdom of God. So we want to make sure that we're always engaged in some type of devotional service. And we know that there are nine processes of devotional service, so it's um, almost simple to always be involved in one of these processes. It's not always easy to implement, but we can get into the habit of it. And these nine processes are hearing, chanting, about the transcendental, holy name, form, qualities, paraphernalia, and pastimes of Krishna, remembering him, serving his lotus feet, offering um, worship with 16 types of paraphernalia, as we see is currently going on, Offering prayers to Krishna, so praying to him is important. 
becoming his servant, and considering the Lord as a friend, um, and surrendering everything unto him. You know, he says, 1865, always think of me, become my devotee, worship me, and offer your homage unto me. Thus you will come to me without fail. I promise you this because you are my very dear friend. So we want to consider Krishna our friend. He even says it. He says it a few times in the Bhagavad Gita. He calls Krishna, he calls Arjuna his friend. So we want to be his friend. In the Srimad Bhagavatam 7523, it depicts these nine processes, and it says one who's de- dedicated their life to the service of Krishna through these nine methods should be understood to the most to be the most learned person, for they have acquired complete knowledge. We want to make sure that we're engaging in one of these nine processes at all times. And some of them overlap, some of them are pretty much the same, like if you're chanting Japa, you're remembering him, you're serving him, you're praying to him, you're hearing and chanting about him. Krishna is non-different than his name. But I just want to expand a little bit about this concept of prayer. There's not one that I hear a lot about here. You hear a lot in Christianity, you know, pray to God. And we tend to think of prayers as requests, right? Like, how do you pray? Like, when you were Catholic, how did you pray to God? Right? So we usually just ask for something. Like, you know, like God is Santa Claus, right? So we have our list of things. You know, this is what I want. Please provide them for me. And it's, you know, I've heard this said that Krishna is like everything. He owns the entire world, right? And we're asking him for these, like, piddly things that, like, you know, we may think it's great, like a car and a mansion. But I've heard it said that it's the same as going to a billionaire and asking him for a penny. Like, it's nothing to him, but he's just like, why are you asking me for pennies? You can ask for so much more for some, from somebody who has so many more resources. <clears throat> but the other thing is our mood of prayer should really be of service. So our true prayer is really, Krishna, please engage me in your service and provide me with that which I need to properly engage in your service. Right, so we can still ask, but we're asking for things that will help us in our service to Krishna. Um, another type of prayer is to just ask for help. You know, Krishna, please help me. I'm lost. I I need your help. And I find that a lot of times that type of prayer to Krishna, like, oh my God, Krishna, I just don't know what to do. Please help me. He answers almost immediately. Like. It's not that, you know, he comes over and he says, hey, Jayshree, it's, it's different ways, right? So you have to, when you pray, you have to be very open to the answers that you get. It could be in the form of someone says something to you and you're like, wait a minute, that sounds like an answer. And then you hear it three or four more times in the course of a short amount of time and you, you know that that's Krishna sending you that message. Often I find if I'm really struggling like with something like that, and I'm listening to a lecture by my guru, he answers that question as if I had just asked it of him. The answer is, I mean, it could be any random lecture, and it comes like that. And I see that as Krishna's arrangement, as well as my guru's arrangement, to try to help understand this dilemma or help me through this dilemma. So prayer is just really opening our hearts 
and opening our minds to Krishna and letting him take control. It's, it's a type of surrender. The other type of prayer I've heard about, which is good, is to pray in abundance. Like, to thank Krishna, right? Be in gratitude for everything that we have, but you can also be in gratitude for things that you want. Like, even if you don't have it, you can say, you know, thank you, Krishna, for bringing me this nice car that will help me, you know, do my service. If you already have this attitude of gratitude, even for things that you don't have, it manifests itself. Krishna will send it to you. If that's really, truly going to help you, you know, propel in your service to him. The flip side of that is that we have to, be, like I said, be open because Krishna's answers to our prayers may not be what we expect. It may not even be what we want it to be, but it's definitely what we need. So oftentimes, or sometimes it can happen, like you can say something like, you know, Krishna, I really just, I want some more time to devote myself to Krishna, to my family, to service. And you're praying like this, and then, you know, like you lose your job and you lose, you know, your car. But Krishna's arranging that so he can fulfill that desire that you have more time with your family. Or, you know, you could say, you know, I really, I, I really want to engage in your service. And this is something that's happened to me, right? Like I'm like, I really want to engage in your service and really focus on helping people get to the mode of goodness because the mode of goodness is really tied into a lot of the pillars of good health that I look at, right? Eating healthy, eating well, not eating too much, sleeping, um, exercising, moving our body, taking care of the body, being, you know, taking care of the mind, not letting the mind get uh, caught up in the current stresses and pulled in this direction and pulled in that direction. So we want it to be very controlled. And so I was, like, really praying, like, how can I offer this, you know? And then, like, things happened at my job that I could no longer stay working there. And I thought, you know, that was Krishna answering my prayers. At first, it seemed like something really bad. Like, okay, now I don't have patience to treat because I lost my job. Or I quit my job, rather. But circumstances happened that I was kind of forced to quit my job. Um so really, that was the answer to my prayers, right? To to find a different way of doing what I want to do. And if I had the job, I wouldn't have the opportunity to do so. So, you know, it's like really being open to to the answers to those prayers. Because Krishna will answer them. He, you know, we're all dear to him. As long as we are serving him, he's, you know, he's paying attention to us. I've heard it said, you know, act... Don't act in such a way that you want to see God. Act in such a way that God sees you, right? So we wanted him to take notice. And if we're constantly asking him, Krishna, how can I serve you? How can I serve your your devotees? He's going to show us how to do it. And then, you know, he's going to continue to show us how to do it. And if we don't listen, he's going to continue to arrange our lives that we have no choice but to listen. Um, so really, that's... The most that's one of the things that I was thinking about for today is it's the opposite side of anxiety. I've heard a saying, and I thought this was really good. You can worry about it or you can pray about it, but don't do both. Right? So once we start to pray, we're saying, Krishna, I trust you to take care of this, 
But if I'm going to continue to worry, it's saying, Krishna, I don't trust you to take care of this. Somehow or another, I have to take care of this. I have to do it. But if we surrender and say, Krishna, I know that you're going to take care of this, then it can kind of ease that worry and anxiety that we have. So, you know, the best thing to counteract doubt, because doubt can also be a reason why we worry, is by faith. We build our faith by you know, asking Krishna to help us build our faith, offering that as one of our prayers. So prayers become very important no matter what. Even chanting, you know, japa, chanting um, mantra meditation quietly to ourselves of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, is a prayer. But the beauty of that prayer is that it's non-different than Krishna. So it's like the words are prayers, but the words are also Krishna. So when we're saying them, we're getting time with him. We're getting to spend time with him. So we can also look at chanting our japa as a prayer. And Prabhupada said, you know, one way to, to engage your mind when you're chanting is to think, you know, oh, energy of the Lord, oh, all-attractive Lord, reservoir of pleasure, Please engage me in your service. And we see this quite often. Like in the last few verses, Arjuna, before he actually even asks Krishna for anything, he glorifies him. You know, he's like, you're, you're, you bestow fearlessness, you're unlimited. He, he gives him so many clo- uh, compliments and glorifies him, and then he asks him for what he needs. So in that way, the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra is similar, right? energy, you're beautiful, all-attractive, your reservoir of pleasure, please engage me in your service. So, that's all I have for today. Questions do you have? All right, since there are no questions, I will end here. Dharantara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki